It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at WRTFM.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six foot six above sea level. I grab the mic because I like to take you to another mental level. Low power frequency radio modulation. The big sound from underground. We bring the truth to places truth is never heard before. Hello and welcome to a public affair. It's Wednesday, so that means you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. And I want to remind you, you are listening to a public affair on WORT 89.9 FM Madison, volunteer powered, listener sponsored community radio. We have a fabulous show um, coming at you today. First of all, the guest is live in the studio, face to face. I wonder if people know that voice. They might not, but I mean, probably not. I'll per- just keep talking and see. <laughs> you're pretty much a person around town. I mean, everyone who's in the know knows uh, <laughs> the fabulous Laura Dresser. She is here um, today in the studio with us. She is the associate director of COWS, a nonpartisan think tank at UW-Madison. You've been there since 1990. 1995. 1995. More than half my life in one job. Holy moly. <laughs> I think that, I mean, that was the year I graduated college. Yeah. That's yeah. Um, that's amazing, Laura. It is kind of amazing. I mean, it is kind you're, of a long the, you're part of the institution. I am. That's what's so great. Yeah. And, and that's why we're really lucky to have you here. Because if you want to talk about the state of workers, the state of the economy, you want to talk about those things, then you want to talk to Laura. I want to remind everyone, cows, again, the nonpartisan think tank out of UW-Madison, um, they put out the annual report, the state of working Wisconsin, that Laura is, you know, part of the leadership on putting that report out. And Laura, you're also um, a professor, a clinical assistant professor at the UW-Madison Sandra Rosenbaum School of Social Work. That's correct. I get to teach students and I get to think about workers. So what's not to love? Why not stay in a job for Almost hey, 30 years. That's pretty fabulous. Yeah. That's, well, again, really happy to have you here. And our conversation today really, um, a, I think it was exactly a week ago, sort of the attention grabbing headline in many, many media and news outlets. Literally, I'm going to read the headline on the Cap Times from April 20th that literally said, Wisconsin unemployment rate again sets record low. And this is a national record low. For the month of March, the unemployment rate in Wisconsin was 2.5%. The unemployment rate in Madison is 1.9%. So big picture before we take a dive, this is these this is good yes this is good news this is good news for workers for all workers it's always good news for un- for the unemployment rate to be low because i think the thing we focus on first is those unemployed workers the workers who don't have work and it's the fewer that don't have work the better that's true yes but it really matters for all workers when the line at the door is short Because it means that they have more leverage to make more of their jobs. So to me, the unemployment rate is an indicator. I think we all kind of focus on just unemployed people. Get them into a job. Let's go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what what I want everyone, what what I want to celebrate about this low rate is the way it, it is a rebalancing of power which is stacked in the employer's direction in a thousand ways. But the one way that workers, uh, one of the ways through the macroeconomic swings that worker gets power, workers get power is with low unemployment rates. When workers are hard to replace, they can stay where they are and demand more from their work. And we're seeing low wage workers do that. The bottom of the labor market is coming up faster than wages in other places. This doesn't happen in the U.S., except in the late 1990s it happened a little bit because of very tight labor markets. And in the last two years it's been happening because of tight labor markets. So it it lifts the bottom and it gives workers more leverage. And that's good news. I mean, I really appreciate you sort of framing that because that is sort of, as someone 
right? I, I don't do what you do for a living. I don't think about, in general, economics, right? I read the paper. Obviously, I read the headline. Um, but I don't think about economics. I don't think about workers and, and, and employment, right? I do think about housing and yeah. so maybe related. But these aren't things I regularly think about. And because of that, the numbers that you hear, okay, I listen to NPR every morning and I read the New York Times and the papers that I care about and they're like, unemployment rate. And you're like, oh. So you think that that's a number that you should be, I don't even know if I've thought hard about, is that a number I should be paying attention to? That's the number the news outlets that I trust tell me I should be paying attention to. So it's always like, right, unemployment up or down, and you always think of not a job or a job. But this gives us a conversation to actually, uh, our uh, opportunity to have a conversation about What's happening in the job itself? Yeah, I think that's always, this is always true. Um, when unemployment rates are high, and and so I, I guess I want to, you know, kind of emphasize two things for the audience here. Um, one is, you know, this doesn't mean we've moved to workers paradise status. This doesn't solve all the problems. But if the question in any job is what is my power relative to the boss's power. Yes. And we answer that in a variety of ways, including with unions, but decreasingly so, including with, um, you know, personal advocacy. But, you know, a worker is, there is always a question of how much power do workers have and how much power do employers have. Employers have too much, but they have less when the unemployment rate is 2.5% because a worker can say, give me a full schedule. Or I will find one. Mm-hmm. I can find a job. Give me my full schedule or I'll leave. Change this benefit structure or I will leave. And you can see workers doing this in formal and informal ways, in individual and collective ways. So workers, um, people people got really obsessed two years ago or a year and a half ago about the great re- resignation I think we had this idea that right. everybody was leaving work. We were all becoming, you know, like going to do GoFundMes and go do van life or whatever the hell. <laughs> they were leaving us to <laughs> sit around and do nothing. Those were the options in, in life. Work or work, do nothing. Work oh, or do nothing. I didn't know that was one of the choices. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only. If only. Van life. But anyway, so so um, pe- workers weren't resigning. It's, well... It's true. They were leaving their jobs. Right. They were going to other jobs. Leaving their job for, for another, another job. job. And they were l- leveraging better wages on that journey. So turnover was very high in low-wage labor, labor markets. But it's because workers were like, I don't have to put up with this. I can go somewhere else. And employers responded by raising their wages to keep their workers from leaving. Right. This is what happens when labor markets are tight. So workers have more leverage and you can see them organize doing this in organized ways. But also that kind of just leaving the job is the individual way or staying on the job and saying, like, make my shifts work better. Give me a raise. I've been here two years. I can go somewhere else for more. Give me more money. These these conversations or you know, get rid of that supervisor who's harassing me. These conversations are more possible today. They're still hard, right? The employer still has the ability to take away your job and that's scary, right? But your ability to get something else and their knowledge that you can changes your threat position as a worker. So how do we empower workers? How do workers who understandably right, didn't complain about the fact that the hours weren't what they wanted or didn't complain about the fact that they were being discriminated against, sexually harassed, racially harassed, any any of these things that were happening to them because their option was if I lose this job, I may not get a new one and I need to pay rent and feed myself and my family and all of these things. How do we help individuals shift that mentality or is that just sort of what's in the air? I mean, I think there's... There's two ways I think about that. One, it is it's in workers. Workers see the leverage they have, and you can it see just takes that. one colleague taking that. Advantage. Yeah, I mean, it's partly all you have to see is a job posted on a billboard for more than you're getting paid mm-hmm. to say to your employer. There's a job posted on a billboard for more than I'm getting paid. That's so amazing. Wait, that just 
my daughter has a summer job as a camp counselor and I got an email from a friend who runs a camp and I said, oh my God, to my daughter, you could get paid $5 more just because I got this random email. But the only reason I'm getting this random email is because there's not enough workers. Yeah, exactly. So so employers need have to, are in a position to have to look good, to recruit, to make clear, make transparent what they offer. Um, and that gives workers information who sometimes don't have access to the information about like what could I get somewhere else, right? Because employers are looking for workers, they're advertising what they have. There's a little more clarity about what external options are, both to the workers and the bosses. And so that's partly how it happens. It's in, like you said, it's in the air. Hmm. People people can see opportunity and they can either move to it or leverage it to stay where they are and get something more out of where they are. But also I think workers see, um, as workers see this dynamic, they begin to have conversations. And this is the more sustainable way. That's the, you know, the collective route and the union route, the contract route is the more sustainable way to take the kind of leverage that workers have right now and make it permanent. But that you see as well, because you see increase, you know, like this last year, um, more uh, labor activity, more filings yes. for record recognition and in sectors that, you know, not your father's labor movement, like Starbucks workers, Amazon right. workers. Um, you I know, didn't even this- know as 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 sort of a clueless person into this world. I was like, oh, I didn't even know. Starbucks could unionize. Well, of course they can. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, and the journey is hard and they don't have a contract and, you know, Starbucks isn't negotiating in good faith. And, you know, like it's it is not, uh, you know, a crystal stair. Is, but but at least but we're where we we weren't here before where we were even having these conversations or making these attempts to f- to start moving the roadblocks. There was no even attempt to get here. That's before. exactly right. And that to me is like, so yes, you get to see all this individual stuff, but then also the collective stuff is also emerging and workers see that and think, huh, maybe we should ask more from this place. Maybe we should join together. That's protected. Maybe they understand now that it's protected to demand from, you know, to to work collectively, concerted action on your work site, even if you're not in a union. That's protected. They, you know, technically the boss can't fire you. In fact, often the boss will. It would be illegal. So um, I don't want to tell I'm not, not right. you know, be careful. But but um, but, you know. I think workers are doing this more and more. They're seeing each other. They're talking to each other. They're demanding more. They're um, thinking about unions. There's more calls about unions. Organizing is happening. And that also is because we have a tight labor market. Mm -hmm. Laura, can you talk to us about Wisconsin in particular? What does this mean that, so nationally, it's a tight labor market. I think the national unemployment is... Three and a half percent was the number that I recently saw, which is an incredibly low national number. So are these conversations happening everywhere? And what does it mean that Wisconsin is 2.5 below (laughs) that and that Madison is below that? I mean, these are these are very, uh, you know, I think I came to Madison, as we all know now. Uh, in the late 90s, I came in 95, and um, in the late 90s, the unemployment rate in Dane County was often below 2%, and at the time, I would sort of, I, you know, like, it's just a level that you don't really see, and to see a state yeah. down in the twos, you know, that's a very tight labor market. There's a couple of things that make you uh, Wisconsin unique on the national scale, which is impacting this, I think, and one of them is that... Um, you know, on net, the state is aging um, and more people okay. are moving towards retirement age or in it. Um, we are getting older faster than other states are. Wisconsin is? Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And that happens mostly because um, the the population growth that we do have is mostly Dane County driven in the last 10 years. Most other counties, their prime age workforce, and this is a study from the Center for Community Economic Development at UW Extension, um, a really useful study. And I, I, you know, it's 
kind of tucked back in my head. I hope I'm going to get it basically right. But basically, um, outside of the urban counties, especially Dane County, um, the prime age workforce is in pretty substantial decline. Okay. And so they're just jobs chasing fewer workers in a lot of counties across the state. And then in Dane County, we have growth, right? And so demand coming here, um, attracting people into the county um, from other states, other countries, et cetera, but, but insufficient to meet the demand that, that is here. And so those, so we've got low unemployment, I think that is partly demographically based in the rest of the state and mostly growth based in um, or in the rural areas of the state is where the demographic shift to the older and the declining mm-hmm. workforce. And then in Dane County, really um, demand driven. So is there, and maybe you don't know the answer to this, but is there a response from sort of the business community or from legislators saying we need more workers and a desire to have conversations? Maybe there aren't, a, there could be, and there isn't here perhaps? I mean, well... Uh, to the extent that I've seen a response from this legislature, um, they seem uh, focused on uh, a kind of analysis of laziness. <laughs> How about the opposite of the conversation we're having here of, hey, we're not talking about the unemployed. We're talking about workers. And our state legislature actually is still talking about the wrong story. Right. The, the problem is the, the the seven people that are still sitting on their couch. Yeah. I. And 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 how and ridiculous. the real yeah how ridiculous exactly the the real conversation is about um, you know women especially I mean especially women but all parents of little kids right face a real crisis in childcare and oh that God. is documented you know because of the sh- uh, the childcare se- sector shrunk during the pandemic. And hasn't come back. And now there's really incredible wage competition for childcare workers. So there's, and childcare has always been really expensive. So expensive. Really expensive for families. And so um, there's a very serious issue in childcare in this whole state rural, urban, conservative, liberal access to child care and the ability to afford that child care so that you can work is a real issue this the legislature could take on this the and governor- are we seeing other legislatures across the country i mean that this is exactly what you're talking about now is the time oh are you feeling desperate and you wish you could have more workers well maybe it's time to have conversations about Policy changes. Yeah. Think about the policy. And one one thing that I think about is just, you know, on the other side of the Mississippi River um, in Minnesota, they're moving towards paid family leave. They had increasing unionization in their workforce across the last 10 years, while ours was the among the worst declines in the um, in the region. They have um, an increasing minimum wage and no tip minimum so that any service any food service worker who could work for you know on the tip wage yes on either like you live right near the border um why would it's you a not brainer why would you not go work at the restaurant in minnesota mm-hmm. right we are making policy and and minnesota has uh, last time i checked a lower total population than we do but a higher workforce than we do Interesting. So they have a structure of supporting work and they get more work. And we on this side of the border keep vilifying workers and acting as if um, the ways that you support workers is is actually some kind of gift that keeps them from wanting to work. And we are paying the price of that. Well, in fact, Laura, there was um, the Wisconsin State Assembly just passed a bill, right? Yeah. yeah. That um, and. Do you know the details of the bill? I I don't know tons of the details. I there thought were it was a, similar to what happened yeah, before. Yeah, there were a, there's a series of bills, um, and so I I actually am not about on access to unemployment insurance, access. Um, so those sets of rules around uh, verifying and um, mandating new levels of work search, but then there's some mm-hmm. other ones that are about. Um, uh, limiting access to benefits um 
unless people prove that they're working. And again, it's it's just uh, I think, you know, it's morally reprehensible. But to me, it's also just (laughs) economically uninformed. It's right. It's not. I mean, and I know everyone's going to have their anecdotal stories. My daughter is, uh, we're starting to look at colleges. She's a junior in high school. And the conversation we literally just had in my house was, oh, UW tuition. How are we going to afford that? And my husband said, well, you know, remember preschool? This, this isn't that much more than pre. Like, oh, yeah. we, we afforded $15,000 a year before. Maybe we can still do it. And it was. Yes, of course. Yeah. 13, 13 years ago little, when my daughter was four years old, we were spending $15,000 a year to send her to preschool. Right? Yeah, absolutely. And that, and, and it's insane. And that's insane. And it's especially impossible for the workers who do not earn uh, the kind of money that, that uh, four-year college degrees or advanced degrees get people to, right? So... Um, workers in the, you know, kind of at the median, the median worker in the state of Wisconsin earns um, just short of 20 bucks an hour. That's uh, 40,000 a year annually. And um, to carry 15,000, <laughs> even, on, you know, it's on impossible. one, it's, in, it's impossible. And that's the worker in the middle of the earnings distribution of all workers, including um, folks who get paid in salary. That's not just hourly workers. That's all workers. Mm-hmm. And so hmm. the, 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 the financial impossibility of affording childcare as, as wages get lower, right, becomes more and more clear. And that keeps women out of the workforce. We're talking right now with Laura Dresser um, about the state of the economy and uh, really this specifically the state of workers in Wisconsin. We would love to get your questions or thoughts. Um, we'd love to hear if you want to join the conversation. Give us a call at area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Jay is in the studio. He's ready for your calls. We have Mary Jo staffing the phones. We are ready for you. So give us a call. We can patch you on the air with us, or you can pass a message on to them if you don't want uh, to join us on the air. Again, area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Okay, so we were talking a little bit where you were saying $20, sort of the median Let's let's talk about what these wages are. So, okay, workforce. Right now in Dane County, what what's the living wage? Are we still sort of approximately saying fifteen dollars an hour is the single person living wage, or are we past that? I mean, that's so. Probably everybody on this who's listening knows that housing prices are moving quickly, mm-hmm. especially. In a rental market, but even people on mortgages, of course, are dealing with new interest rate things. Depend on how how their mortgage rate is locked, how their mortgage is locked, right? So yes. the interest rates are moving. If you're in a kind of debt side of things, and rental markets are really moving. In um, so is this all Wisconsin, or is this a Dane County conversation? You know, this is it's interesting. I assume. It is an urban conversation. Okay. I have I know it for Milwaukee and I know it for Madison. I think cities have a lot of housing pressure. I assume it not I assume the price increase is not to be so intense in places where population is sort of in decline, right? And gotcha. so that would be rural areas. But I don't know that for a fact. That's okay. just a guess. Um so a lot of so this is to say a lot of things are moving pr- and prices are moving. Everybody knows that we've got it's some in the first experience for many people of true inflation mm-hmm. over the last year, and that uh, both the kind of rising costs and the unpredictability or the worry about what comes forward, um, I think, really has people uh, scared about what cost structures look like. You know. Uh, fifteen bucks an hour gets you thirty dollars, and uh, I'm sorry, thirty thousand a year. Um, and I think most people, uh, you know, can a single person live in their own apartment on that kind of money? Um, it 
It depends a lot. Hard. It depends a lot. And a and a job and and let me say that a job that often offers fifteen bucks an hour, um, which is uh, you know, sort of, we use it as a threshold sometimes as, you know, like we put everything below 15 bucks an hour, just call it a bad job and everything above we call, you know, better just to kind of get in our arms around what low wage jobs look like. And, um, and it's important to realize that those bad jobs come in bad packages, right? So it's not just that you're 15 bucks an hour. It's that you're dealing often with, a kind of uh, on-demand scheduling that the service sector has innovated with um, that is really choking off your predictability and stability of hours. And so workers in, uh, you know, in, in retail jobs get sent home when there's not sufficient foot traffic on the floor. Mm -hmm. So, right. Like, so, so I said 15 bucks an hour turns into 30,000, but that's only if you get full year if you have 40 hours, time, mm-hmm. right? So that's another thing that's going on, that real variability in schedules, unpredictability in schedules, and the volatility getting paid by the worker, basically, getting sent home without hours or losing a shift when the employer decides they don't want you. And also at 15 bucks an hour, you're you're rarely getting decent health insurance from your employer. Um that you can af- that you can afford and you're rarely getting any other sort of benefit right sick days etc so when you get sick you you, you, you take the let, loss you I, might and you might lose the job at least in the prior economy when there wasn't huge exactly you know unemployment right you get sick you either choose to take your disease to work because you don't want to lose the money or the job or you choose to stay home and you lose the money and, you know, maybe have to deal with a supervisor mm-hmm. being mad at you, right? And so so bad jobs are not just low in wages. They're, they're hard in other sorts of ways. And one of the things that I think is really important to see, especially on the part-time ones, which, again, the scheduling stuff gets easier when the unemployment rate's at 2.5%, but it's still hard. A lot of people are still dealing with schedules that are erratic or volatile and they're um and th- it means they can't get a second job right so that the strategy if you have low hours is to get another job but if you have low unpredictable hours you can't get another job you you don't know when you're available right. for it right mm. so so i would so again you know 15 i i think more than 12, 10 years ago the fight for 15 said you know, we need 15 in a union. I think inflation has made that, uh, you know, and 10 years of time and the right. inflation then has made that 15 less of a like really livable standard and more of a minimum. Uh, but even so, there's there's a lot of workers below it. So we've talked a little bit about pay uh, and the hourly rate that's needed. We've talked a little bit about child care. Are there other issues, but um, we also expand a little bit on sort of the industry and the fl- the unpredictability. I mean, are we talking mostly about service workers and retail? Yeah. Restaurants? I, yeah, I would say that, I mean, and this is one of the reasons I'm so uh, excited about the way that wa- the wages at the bottom have been moving and the bottom is really the service sector it is restaurants and hotels it is child care workers and hands-on health care workers like cnas and home health aides it is um uh uh did i say retail you know and and these jobs which were so often essential in the pandemic, right? They're often face-to-face yes. jobs. They're the well, very workers. We've turned essential not into respect and pay. We've turned essential into you have to put your life on the line and be in danger during COVID and a national pandemic because we need you. Right. And I think these workers had that experience and were like, well, um, if I'm essential and I'm valuable, 
maybe I can demand more from work. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think, part of the dynamic that's gone on. It, you know, we've had other tight labor markets where workers have not made as much of them. <laughs> not this tight. I guess also this is extra tight. But and 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 so it's those those sectors. But I think the other thing I'd, I'd really call uh, um, everyone's attention to is that these sectors disproportionately employ women and people of color in this state, the black and brown workers of this state. And sh- and so as those gaps close, those, this is one of the more active ways to close, to, to help close some of the really ruinous and, uh, you know, nation's uh, most extreme racial disparity that Wisconsin continually posts. And so we aren't going to be able to see that in the data for a little bit at the state level, but it's definitely the case that some of the wage gaps, um, black-white wage gaps are closing a little just because of the lifting of the floor, because it really is, there have been significant wage gains in these sectors. Why do you, your comment about there have been um, times in the past where it was perhaps advantageous for workers to, to, you know, take advantage of the low employment rate, but they hadn't, you know, that was sort of like a throwaway comment that you made. But why now? Why do you think workers are you know, empowered now more than other times? I mean, it's such a great question. And it is, I mean, you know, and it is very vulnerable, right? Like it is, um, you know, the Fed is literally trying to make a recession. So, you know, so, <laughs> so um, this is vulnerable. But, but I would say, uh, you know, one of the things is definitely the way pandemic, the pandemic made, people think about their work i think this kind of you're gonna sense of empowerment yeah you're gonna call me essential you're gonna subject me to this illness and you're gonna um and you're gonna act like that never happened and go back to the wage we always had like this pandemic's over i think about you know like you know whether it's nursing home workers who were really truly such a frontline location like literally um you know that nursing homes are locked down so they're worried about bringing the disease into their own homes maybe where they have vulnerable people but they're also the only point of contact for sick people right and in an incubator for the pandemic right at always and and the and you know i the last time i looked 40 percent of the deaths in 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 wisconsin in the first year were in congregate living facilities right like this these were the people who at 11 and 12 dollars an hour and many of them without health insurance right were the front line of the pandemic and i think you know that that just we called them heroes and they're like well then treat me like one yeah exactly and two years later you know um, what does it mean to be a hero in this situation? And and I think, you know, that's what we're seeing is a lot more standing up. I think that's part of it. We're talking right now, again, with Laura Dresser about the um, rights of workers, the unemployment levels being down, what, what advocacy efforts workers are doing and taking advantage of that. Again, Laura is the associate director with COWS here at UW-Madison. We do have um, a caller that had a question from a question Mark has passed on. This is a fabulous question. I'm already saying good job, Mark. (laughs) I love this question. Mark wants to know, do the current unemployment levels impact workers' willingness to go on strike? I mean, yeah, that's a great question, uh, Mark. Thanks for it. And I, uh, I would say that we, there has been an uptick in work actions. In fact, if you remember, this is this is one of the things I actually had to read. I learned once, but I had to rediscover. Twenty eighteen was a a work action, a big work action year. Uh, going into twenty nineteen. Um, Red for Ed and all the education and teacher um, uprisings in West Virginia and Oklahoma and Arizona and then the LA 
uh, teacher strike yeah, and, and you know, strike, all yeah. of this was coming in 2018 and 2019. So we had seen this uptick, bef- uptick before the pandemic of worker um, of different sorts of action, formal strikes, uh, stoppages, etc. And and that has just continued with the pause, you know, kind of one year pause. Um, the increase in activity um, has continued. And I think I would say it is likely that unemployment rates, the worker sense of security and empowerment matters to that. But probably also them seeing other workers go out on strike matters yeah. like they kind of um the zeitgeist. And I also feel like in this relates to maybe both the questions, you know, the other thing that happened in the pandemic is we saw inequality in real time, right? Mm-hmm. Like Jeff Bezos Everyone was paying attention. Jeff Bezos made bajillions of dollars because we all got stuff delivered at his house and he still and Amazon still acted like it couldn't pay warehouse workers fifteen bucks an hour. Mm-hmm. Right. The the so I think mm-hmm. inequality is a deep um motivator here that has become that has become crystallized um both across the last decade but crystallized especially by the pandemic and so you have workers sense of their own essentialness you have uh, a kind of real uh outrage at the level of inequality and its increase the continual tolerance for increasing inequality in this nation, and you have very unemployment rates. I think, um, and I'm sure there's someone smarter than I am about this, but you know, I think that mix is influencing workers' willingness to strike. Thank you for your question, Mark. I mean, that was great. Um, and if you want to join the conversation, we want to hear from you. Area code 608-256-2001, extension 9. Well, so, Laura, let's take that and talk a little bit more. I haven't directly asked you a question, which is, what is going on with unions in <laughs> Wisconsin? <laughs> yeah. And and again, and then this is even true nationally. Like, it is, there's, you always have to kind of hold two truths in your head uh, when it comes to unions in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. There is more organizing going on now than there has been in a very long time. Um, we still have fewer people in unions today, obviously, than 10 years ago when Act 10 happened and then two years later, right to work in the state happened. Um, but we have so so and and nationally, even even with all the organizing um, and the certifications and all that, um, still the share of workers covered by union contract fell a little bit um, last year. So there's a lot of workers demanding uh, more from their jobs. They're yes. doing that by uh, signing cert- you know, certification elections. They're doing that by demanding more in their contracts. They're doing that by work stock- stoppages. You can see the CUNA mutual workers yes. and their, their support of their bargaining committee for that strike, um, the, if that will happen. Um, so you can see workers... Uh, demanding more in all those ways, um, you know, on net and socially, we still have the rules are so hard and the um, and the growth of the economy works in in ways that moves away from unionization. That said, I do want to go back to one thing I said earlier, which is that Minnesota on the other side of the Mississippi River has more people in unions today than they did 10 years ago. Huh? Yeah. And that's, so, you know, it it isn't. And so that is partly, uh, you know, that's just like what's going on in the state and what the I, I don't think that's deep differences in rule. Uh, it's obviously differences in public sector and right to work rules vis-a-vis Wisconsin. Right. But it's also probably something else going on. Anyway, this is to say, you know, unions aren't only in decline in every single state. Um and in some states, they're holding their own or even getting ahead. But Wisconsin, the the slope of the hill to get to a union is 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 hard, and and workers um, workers are increasingly, you know, doing it. Um, well, and I presume there's a lot of merit to as as we talked about balancing the playing field, and even you know 
the this this conversation of we might get a union we're talking about a union we're forming a union if you don't ultimately get to the union there's so much you have gained and the leverage you've you know acquired yeah i think that i think this is uh sort of important to see um, as well obviously the most <laughs> the most sustainable way to maintain gains is through a contract right right um but even when you just make a set of demands, even me, when you make it clear that you and your coworkers talk to each other and are willing to be transparent, We're willing to go this far, yeah, right. right. Um, and even when you just uh, can say, like, I know what's going on down the street, and I'm willing to do that. Like all these things do change, are, are ways for workers to seize a little initiative, and so I think it does matter. And I think, and I think employers end up responding, right? Like you see that um, that uh, uh, Howard Schultz tried to do it in Starbucks for only the non-union workers, but he kept raising, and that's illegal, but um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but he kept trying to say, I'm going to raise the standards at these places. And mm-hmm. raising the standards is a response to the unionization. Right, this, is, right. this is actually like if he could have done it that way, the non-union workers gaining from the threat of the union. Right. 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 So um, so it is true that I think like the demand ripples it pull- and, it, and it makes employers know that they have to do something maybe a little more to not get unionized, right? So some of the benefits um, from the low unemployment rate, we've talked about the desire to raise the wage. We've talked about, you know, the challenges with childcare and that some legislatures, some um, governments are talking about that. We've talked about unions. I want to talk about health care. We've touched on that a little, but are we now having employers... One, employers acknowledge the need to provide health care. Or on the other side, are we acknowledging that some people are not in the workforce because of health care challenges, because of mental health challenges, because of obstacles that are stopping them from being able to join the uh, workforce? Sector? Yeah, I, I mean, I think in this state and well, nationally as well, the, the kind of like the ability the <laughs> Another lesson that should have come from the pandemic um, was that it's a really bad idea to have health insurance delivered <laughs> through employment. Oh my God! I right. mean, that's the story <laughs> so of America, sh- where, the, where <laughs> no one, no one outside of this country understands what the heck. Yes. Who thought that was a good idea? But- and especially when you know the economy sheds whatever twenty uh, percent of its jobs in one month. And people who Woo. are dropped into a global pandemic without health insurance. Health insurance. Right, um, right. But but you don't actually think that's going apparently to we didn't really learn that one. I um, mean, because didn't we try and do universal health care? And I don't I don't even hear that conversation. No, you know, in the I political mean, worlds these days. I mean, I think the medi- the expansion of Medicare is the <laughs> sort of national language for uh, you know kind of expanding the right and pushing it down but um but i do see this as such a problem um and in the state the real problem or one of the real problems is really this kind of question of access to medicaid for low-wage workers and their families right because we have created um a playing field where uh, employers who don't have health insurance for their jobs were able to compete away the benefits that employers that were offering health insurance. This especially happened mm-hmm. in um, grocery stores. Okay, you know, so you had you had employers who offered the benefit. Some still do, but you had Walmart or whoever come in who are offering groceries and not providing workers with health insurance at all, right? And so this creates, this is, you know, this is a classic example to me of where um, if we had a higher standard, the this employer, this, this, this uh, lack of public policy privileged Walmart vis-a-vis the grocery stores that were providing the benefit of health insurance. And we allowed Walmart you know, the ability to compete on the basis of not, um, among other things, of not um, providing health insurance. Right. And that then strips away 
the grocery store's ability right. to offer health insurance. And so we strip that away. And then we don't even come back in at the state level with a good deal that would bring a bunch of money to the state to give, uh, you know, to get health insurance at least at the bottom of the labor market. So, um, I, you know, that's one failure. of the dynamics uh, that it's a real failure and it's really privileging the worst actors in the labor market, mm-hmm. right? Vis-a-vis other employers. We get, Trust, we get the other employers are even trying to put it on the table and they get, yeah, you know, shot down for it. Yeah, and we get this conversation as if, all employers or all the business community wants is lower standards um, and less regulation and less health insurance. And in fact, that's just not true. The dynamics are different in employers. And if we actually could, uh, you know, find there's voices, you know, Main Street Alliance is working hard to leverage community voices in the business community and others to try and demonstrate that not everybody is looking for a low road uh you know to put wisconsin on its path to you know kind of a southern Mm. there's uh, a benefit to treating your workers well yeah i mean that's a that's a long line of of evidence base and and human base that you would know the answer to that we do have harry um that has joined us to uh has a question for us harry you're part of the union and you want to ask a question about the local madison labor market yes yes i'm with ask me local 171 we're the blue collar technical workers on campus and we've been working really hard to get the wages up on campus and we have a 17 dollars minimum now for uh, most of the workers on campus but the student workers are being paid at a less rate, and, mm. and that's something that should be brought up in a broader sense. I mean, I talked with some students on Saturday at a meeting, and they were getting paid 11 and $13 an hour, which is obviously not fair. And so the student union, student workers need to get organized too. But, but on, on the broader issue, the unemployment rate, uh, the stated unemployment rate in Wisconsin and nationally is, is somewhat misleading because that doesn't include people that are underemployed, that doesn't include yes. people that would have a full-time job if they could get it, or people that are working chi- working part-time because, as you've talked about, they can't get childcare, uh, and you know people people that uh, uh, you know they can't uh, find a full-time job and are getting two part-time jobs like you're talking about as well. So I think just a pure unemployment rate number is is kind of misleading. Yes. Also, I think that the union density is really the key issue here and and um the union density in the united states is, is going down as you put out so it, i think that uh it's kind of a mixed picture out there i don't think um i think there's some reason for hope but i think it's a really mixed picture in especially in uh wisconsin but there is some hope with a new supreme court uh justice wisconsin supreme court justice coming and uh, maybe we'll get some, uh, maybe we'll get some um, effects from that. Maybe there'll be some uh, uh, effects of uh, cutting back on the Act 10 uh, effects. Um, I think that the, a key point is, is to say that uh, organizing in restaurant workers is nothing new. We we uh, have a, a lot of food service workers on campus that are part of 171 mm. uh, for a long time. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, there's the, uh, you know, uh, there are back in the 70s, and uh, we ha- there's the um, uh, unions. Uh, food, there's there have been unions that have organized restaurant workers. Uh, it's just a more visible thing now with mm. uh, big uh, Starbucks chains, uh, hotel bartenders uh, workers union has been around for a long time. They yeah. have a uh, a, a local at uh, at the concourse. Um, back in the 90s, I was in a uh, Madison Independent Workers Union, and we organized uh, workers up and down uh, State Street. We had three different restaurant locals, or three different restaurants that we had That's, in our local. It's great and to so hear we, the history we, of all that, yeah. So, so people have been organizing for restaurant workers for, for some time, and yeah. it's not really new. It's just sort of a, a headline uh, in the headlines. Well, it's... It, People need to look at a broader historical outlook, I think. 
Yeah. Well, Harry, thank you so much for, you know, sharing your experience and your perspective. And Laura, sort of, you're, I mean, I think Harry, you know, brings us full circle in our, our final moments here of, you know, the low unemployment rate is really an opportunity. It is not a celebration. It's a celebration to say we have the opportunity now. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate appreciate what what Harry said. Agree about density and the context and the history. Um, but I do, um, and having written a lot of reports, I think I'm constantly trying to thread a needle about, you know, what's good and what's bad. Um, there are a lot of things that are wrong about the structure of the American economy, but uh, we at least have a moment where we see that kind of uh, organizing and solidarity happening a little more. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy about that. So that's the, the part that I, that feels, um, you know, like there's a little more possibility in this moment than, than in many I've written about in the yeah. last uh, 25 years. So in, in our final minutes here, Laura, What's next? What what should we be paying attention to? How can we support specifically communities of color, uh, all low income workers, but but workers who are advocating for all of these things that, you know, are finally perhaps able to have their day? Yeah, I think thinking about what solidarity looks like um, uh, and in the context of supporting, uh, you know, all the workers, uh, the student workers on campus, the campus workers, the food service workers um, at venues um, and finding ways to uh, kind of connect with or support those organizing efforts feels really important. Being part of being willing to talk about your work and what's going on in your job and, um, you know, thinking with others about how to make it uh, work better for you is is part of it too so i that's those are the kind of things i think about well it's always fabulous talking with you laura and really this is so helpful to just sort of help us frame our mind to keep remembering to advocate for low-income workers to advocate for communities of color uh for women for for policies but it's exciting at the thought that that these policies are finally hopefully getting the conversation that they've been deserving because the uh, workforce uh, is forcing that conversation. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, think in a way it's like workers are kind of leading this and um, supporting that and being part of it is, is a, a good way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for all the work that you do, Lori. And Ow. it's been great having you here again, Laura Associate, Lori Dresser, not just Laura, Laura Dresser, <laughs> the Associate Director at COWS um, here at UW-Madison. Thanks so much for joining us in person. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be in the studio with you, Carousel. It's great talking with you. And huge thank you to um, Jay for engineering and Mary Jo for stopping the phones and Shali and Jade for putting the show together. And we'll be back again next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to WORT 89.9. FM Madison. See you again soon. Interest on the credit card just keeps on compounding. But the FCC can never shut this pirate sound down. Live and direct, we come and never pre recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted. We come and listen and supported. Live and direct, we come and never pre recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted.